West Bowles, good morning. Hey, if you're wondering why the projectors weren't working, that, I told you last time, that music makes me so nervous. I, I sprayed water on the projectors and, and tried to <laughs> short circuit them, but John and all his guys got around it. So, hey, uh, as Ryan said, Thomas is out of town, so you get Nathan this morning, all right? Wow. Thanks, Mom and Dad. I appreciate that. All right. <laughs> well, coming up, last time I was up here, I also showed you a, a picture. I'm going to show you a picture again. This picture right here, this is our four-year-old True. And that about sums up everything about her. And I'm biased, but that picture is just adorable. Uh, the moment that followed this picture, not even slightly adorable, not even a little bit. And I want to tell you about it. This was not long ago. We were getting ready to sit down for dinner. And True has these headphones on, and she was dancing around in the living room. And I said, hey, True, time for dinner. And she looked at me and just smiled and kept dancing. And I thought, okay, well, I'll finish setting the table. And then, uh, and then we'll, I'll tell her. So I finished setting the table. I said, hey, True, time for dinner. And she looked at me and kept dancing. And I went, okay, I need to go down to the living room. And I tapped her on the shoulder and said, True. You can dance after dinner, but right now it's time for dinner. And she stopped, and she took off these headphones, and she said, Dad, I can't hear you. And put them back on, <laughs> kept on dancing. And in that moment, True learned that when you're paying more attention to the sound coming through the headphones, you miss out on a much more important message, like it's time for dinner. So I thought, fine, more food for me to eat. So went up to the dinner table, and we were all eating. And the thing you need to know about True is inside that four-year-old's little body are the facial expressions of a thousand actresses, okay? And she came up to the dinner table, and suddenly she kind of sees everything going on. She goes, oh, hmm, hmm, and looked at everybody at the table. Even Lincoln, our at the time one-year-old, hmm. He said, True, what's wrong? And she said, Nobody came and told me it was time to eat. <sighs> now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Oh, poor True. I mean, her, her mean, terrible, impatient father only gave her three warnings. And I'd actually, I wouldn't blame you for thinking that. Um, as I was telling a group of people a couple of weeks ago, three and four year olds may be the most irrational creatures on the face of the planet. And three warnings is nowhere near enough for them. But if you're like me, you'd be thinking, well, why didn't she just turn down the headphones? Why didn't she just take off the headphones? I mean, that's what we would do. Or would we? See, as I look at this picture, I think, in a sense, the headphones never really come off, do they? I mean, we're all walking through life right now, and in a sense, we've got headphones on. And through those headphones, we're getting the messages of the culture we live in, the society we live in, the world we live in. And turning those messages down is a lot easier said than done. Because through those headphones, you know what? There are some messages coming through that maybe we don't like them, but they've got a grip on us. Messages that say, if you just have more, be more, do more, that you will truly mean and be more. And that's hard. In fact, you know what we do? Is we make life decisions based on the messages coming through the headphones, don't we? Some of you can look back at life and say, yeah, I made some decisions according to those messages, and those led to my greatest regrets. And all the while, you know what's going on? We've got this heavenly father who's trying to tell us a message as we're hearing the noise through the headphones. And it's so much greater than, hey, it's time for dinner. Much greater than that. 
He's got a lot to say. And if you're like me, you don't want to miss it. And you know what? He doesn't want you to miss it. He doesn't want anybody to miss it. In fact, that's why there's a point in time in God's story. He sent a group of people, these messengers called prophets. And as we've seen the last four weeks, he's used kings to lead his people. But as we'll see this morning, he used these messengers to shape his people. And so we're going to look at the story of one of those messengers this morning. And to me, that messenger's story, his name's Elijah, that messenger's story really represents the tension and illustrates the tension that all the prophets had to face, but it's a tension that you and I have to face today too. And it's simply this, that in order to speak God's message through the noise of other people's headphones, we've got to be able to hear God's message through the noise of our own headphones. And how do you do that? Well, as we look at this story this morning, we'll see how you do that. Now, when the story opens this morning, if you have your, your book, the story, we are in chapter 15, and we're primarily going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19 this morning. And when this story opens up, God's people have been divided. This was the result of Israel asking for a king. At some point, his people were divided, and there was a northern kingdom, Israel, and a southern kingdom, Judah, and each of them had a series of kings. But when we look this morning, the northern kingdom of Israel has this king named Ahab. And Ahab, he's just terrible. I mean, the worst king yet. In fact, chapter 16 of 1 Kings, you know what it says? It says, Ahab did more to provoke the anger of the Lord than all the kings before him. He was awful. And part of Ahab's problem was he married this woman, Jezebel, okay? And Jezebel had this influence on her husband. I mean, wives, you all have influence on your husbands. And it can be really good or it can be really bad. Okay, in our house, and this was really good influence actually, just a couple months ago, my, my wife, she brought home, okay, for 13 years, she's been trying to get me to drink coffee. And every time the answer's been no, it's bitter, it's disgusting, I hate it. Does that clear it up? No, I don't want any coffee. And she set this cup on the counter and she's like, you gotta, you gotta try this drink. And I was kind of waking up and wasn't thinking, so took a drink and went, oh, that's good. And I ended up downing the entire cup. And afterwards, I had all this energy. And I said, honey, what is this stuff? And she said, Nathan, that's called coffee. And I went, do people know about this stuff? Like, we've got to get the word out. Maybe we could sell this stuff. I bet nobody's thought of that. I bet we could, oh, we could make a lot of money doing that. And so, so, yes, there can be a good influence. But Jezebel, on the other hand, terrible influence on Ahab, on her husband. Because Jezebel, she worshipped this pagan god named Baal. And Baal was known as this, the god of storms. And Baal was thought to be the one who could bring the rain on the land. And if he brought the rain, then the crops grew and they flourished. And the people could become really prosperous and wealthy. And so she influenced Ahab to worship him. And then, as we've seen throughout the story, as the king goes, so the people go. And so the message coming through the headphones of God's people was Baal can be trusted. Baal will provide. Baal will bring the rain. And God sees all this. He says, fine. They want to trust in Baal? We'll see about that. And so the Lord declared... He said he, that through Elijah, this messenger, that there would be no rain or dew on the land until Elijah said so. Well, Elijah goes to King Ahab and he tells him all this. And this is, I think, where the phrase don't kill the messenger comes from. Because Ahab spent three years trying to kill this messenger. 
He's trying to hunt Elijah down. Well, one day the Lord says, all right, Elijah, it's time. I am going to send rain on the land. And so Elijah goes to Ahab, who's been hunting him for three years. And he's going to give him this message. And Ahab sees him coming. He says, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah says, me? I'm the troubler of Israel? No, no, no. You're the one who turned God's people's hearts to a foreign pagan God. You're the one who persuaded them to trust in Baal. And Ahab goes, well, yeah, I did, you know. And Elijah's saying, no, he's a false God. And Ahab's saying, no, he's not. And Elijah's saying, yeah, he is. The God of Israel is the one true God. And it's, you've seen this before. It's two kids on a playground saying, my dad can beat up your dad. No, my dad can beat up your dad. So Elijah finally stops the whole thing and he says, well, let's do this then. Let's have a showdown. So he said, Ahab, get 450 prophets, worshipers of Baal, and get a bowl. This was the sign, the symbol of Baal. And you're going to put this thing on an altar, okay? And then I'll get a bowl and I'll put it on an altar. And you guys, you guys can cry out to Baal and I'll cry out to the God of Israel. And whichever God answers with fire, that is the one true God. And Ahab says, well, it sounds good. And all the people said, this sounds good. And Elijah said, I'm going to let you go first. And I'll even let you cut that bowl up. And the reason for this was he, he wanted them to have some hope here, right? Because if you ever tried to light a log on fire with a match, just a big log right off the bat, it doesn't work. But if you were to cut it up, it stands a better chance of catching fire. So he lets them go first, and they begin calling out to Baal. And this goes from morning until midday. And if you ever needed biblical support for talking trash to somebody, here it is, okay? Elijah, it says, begins to taunt them. He says, what's wrong, boys? I thought Baal was God. You know, maybe, well, maybe he's thinking. Or maybe he's busy. Or maybe, you know, maybe Baal's traveling. Or maybe he's sleeping and he's just away. And they heard all this and they just, it was like Elijah had gotten in their heads. So they started to scream louder and the scene got more ridiculous. And they shouted until that evening. Still nothing from this pagan god Baal that they thought would bring the rain, and also answer them with fire. And finally, Elijah says, you know what? You're done. It's my turn now. And he builds an altar, and he puts this bowl on the altar. And he said, just to make sure there's no doubt, he has, there are four jars nearby. He says, fill those with water and dump them on the bowl. So they dump water on this bowl, and, and he says, you know what? Do it again. And then do it a third time. And by now, all the empty space in this altar is filled up with water around this bowl. And he steps forward and listen to what he says. He says, O Lord, God of, Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And look what happens next. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah brought them down into the valley and had them slaughtered. And it's a reminder for us that anytime you sin against the holy God of the universe, that is a grievous sin. And he said, You've misled the people of God. And so they were slaughtered for it. Now, it's a crazy story. 
okay? But that story is really the backdrop for where we're going to dive in this morning. You got to keep this story in mind. In fact, that night, Ahab went home. And it was actually, he went home in the middle of a torrential downpour because of this cloud appeared on the horizon right after all this happened. And for the first time in three years, rain came on the land. Well, Ahab's going home and he walks in the door and his wife greets him and she says, honey, how was your day today? He said, it was terrible. Remember Elijah that I've been looking for? He showed up today. And he actually challenged Baal to a showdown against the God of Israel. And Baal didn't answer. I can't figure it out. He didn't answer, but the God of Israel did. And then Elijah had all the prophets slaughtered. And Jezebel hears all this. You know what her reply was? Oh, no, he did not. All right? Ladies, did I get that right? I practiced it in front of the mirror like 14 times. All right? (laughs) I'm working on it. That's not really what she said. I'm paraphrasing. Here's what she said. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Now it's at this point you and I would expect Elijah to say, you can bring it, Jezebel. It's it's at this point you'd expect Elijah to say, did you see there were 450 worshipers of Baal and one prophet of God? And I'm still standing here. See, it's at this point you'd expect Elijah to remember what God had done in this showdown. But that's not what Elijah does. In fact, Elijah completely forgets what God had done. Look at what happened. Look at his reaction. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Let me ask you something. Have you been there? You've been there where despite the confidence you've got, despite the life experience, despite what maybe you've seen the Lord do in your life, there's one voice. It might be in the form of a person, might be in the form of your circumstances, might be in the form of a past experience or an area of your life. But that one voice, if something gets tweaked, it's enough to send you running and hiding. See, we've all been there because every single person in here has a person or some circumstances or an area of life that if if that area gets tweaked or touched at all, yikes. It's scary, isn't it? It's enough to send you running. Now, I want to park here for a minute because Elijah's reaction tells us something about us, okay? First of all, it tells us that we easily replace God's messages with loud messages. I mean, don't we? The loudest message seems to get our attention. In Elijah's case, all it took was Jezebel's voice, and he forgot all about what God had done and how God had used him. Now, I know it's hard to tell looking up here at me, at my towering stature and physically imposing frame of a man, okay? But believe it or not, when I was younger, I used to get bullied, okay? I used to get picked on for my size. And I can tell you this, I grew up in a loving home. You know, I had parents who told me they loved me and they showed me they loved me, and I didn't really doubt that at all. But I'm telling you, when you get to school and there's a bully in your face, 
How loud do you think those messages from mom and dad are? Non-existent. Because when a bully's right there in your face, that's all you see and hear. And the truth is, even into adulthood, there's something in our lives that bullies us. And it causes us to forget the messages that God has given us. So that's the first thing about Elijah's reaction. The second thing is that the loudest messages in our lives come in the form of external shouts. I mean, you can get up during the day and you can just, you can be good to go and set and feel solid. But all day long, we've got something screaming at us, something shouting at us. In Elijah's case, it was Jezebel's voice. Now, there are a lot of examples of stuff that shout, shouts at us, but here's one of them right here. Do you agree? All day long, it's the ring of the phone, the text message, the email that just showed up, the Facebook notification, the app that needs to be updated, all day long. In fact, a study was done last year, said that Americans now spend, on average, three hours and 16 minutes a day on their cell phone. This thing screams at us, and we answer. We run to it. You play that out over a week, that's 23 hours a week. Over a month, it's just under four days. Over a year, that's a month and a half that we spend chasing the shout of the cell phone. The loudest messages are often something on the outside shouting to us. And the third thing we learn from Elijah's reaction is that the loudest, those external shouts, they create internal doubts. Walk back through Elijah's reaction with me. Look at this. Elijah was afraid. He was afraid. He was full of fear. A couple sentences later, he came to this broom tree, sat down, and look what he says. I have had enough, Lord. He's not just full of fear. He's fatigued. He's tired. A sentence later, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. He's also full of negativity, and he's hopeless. You can just see it all day long. In fact, this thing that cries out to us all day long, doesn't it also have the power to keep us up all night long? Because you're thinking about that voicemail you got, that text message you got, the email you got, and you're simmering and steaming and worried, or you're thinking about the thing you read on Facebook or the thing you read on the news. And it has the power to have us up at two in the morning, worried, doesn't it? Here's what all this says about us, that our lives are easily, easily influenced by external shouts and internal doubts. And that's where Elijah's at right now. He's scared, he's tired, and he's hopeless. And I'd venture to guess that a lot of us end up there. We've been there, we are there, or at some point we will be there. But this is the point in Elijah's story that brings incredible encouragement for Elijah and for us. Okay, take a look at what happens next. Then he laid down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. You notice how the Lord's answer to this was not, not you go tell Jezebel how it's gonna be. See, that's what we think to do. But the Lord's answer was rest, eat, drink. It keeps going. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Now, there's something really cool here. You don't read it in these words, but we learn the identity of this angel. Her name's Betty. Betty Crocker. It's incredible. I mean, I've seen angels fight. I've seen angels protect people. 
but they make food too. It's, it's amazing. Now, it's easy to make light of this, and it's easy to skip past this, but we can't skip past this. You know why? Because we normally skip past this. Have you noticed what we do when we get scared, when we get tired, when we become hopeless? We forget to take care of ourselves. We forget about sleep because we're up thinking and worrying and frustrated and mad. We forget to eat and eat right. And here's why that's so important, because it sets the stage for what God wants to do next. Look what God does next. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Here's what I love about this part. God recognizes that Elijah has made a life decision to run. And he recognizes that Elijah made that decision because he was focused on, he had given his attention to, what? The loud noises coming through the headphones. He was listening to the external shouts and the internal doubts. And God says, you know what? You're used to hearing the loud noises, so I'm going to show you loud noises. And then I'm going to show you something about the loud noises. Look what happens. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. And listen to this, but the Lord was not in the wind. Keeps going. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Isn't that interesting? Elijah had just been used by God to defeat the God of storms. And now here's God using three loud elements of a storm. And he's saying, remember, I'm not in any of that. I'm not in any of that. But when you see what happens next, you see where he's at. Verse 13, when, I'm sorry, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. After Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And Elijah, in this moment, God showed him and he shows us that, hey, I'm not in the giant winds. I'm in the gentle whispers. I'm not in the loud noises, I'm in the light nudges. I'm not the God like Baal who they thought was encountered in the storms. I'm encountered in the silence. And then Elijah hears this voice. And it says, it says then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And you're reading this and you're going, are we doing this conversation again? I mean, this is the second time, God, and Elijah it's like he's saying, God, I don't know if you heard me the first time, but he answers the exact same way as he did the first time. And you read that and you go, what was that about? But I think there's something very symbolic here. I think this is God saying that, Elijah, the first time you came to me and I asked you, you were focused on the loud noises. You were focused on the shouts and the doubts and Jezebel's voice coming through the headphones. But this second time, this second time, let's try this again. And I want you to focus on where I am and not where I'm not. 
Have you had that happen? When you encounter someone or something or a situation or an area of life, when you first encounter it, all you hear are the loud noises that come with it. But the second time through, you see something a little bit different. And this episode is God showing Elijah something. He's showing Elijah what this video, give it 60 seconds, it'll show you as well. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? First, did everybody see the moonwalking bear? All right, John, can we show it one more time? Okay, I'm just kidding. Well, go home, Google moonwalking bear, and you can watch it to your heart's content all day long. There's one in there. But I love what it says at the end of that video. It says it's easy to miss something that you're not looking for. And you know what Elijah would say? It's easy to miss something that you're not listening for. See, this was God saying, Elijah, if you, I, I need to tell you something, but in order for you to hear it, you've got to tune in to what my voice sounds like. And this is God saying, Elijah, now that I've tuned you into the gentle whisper, you can be guided by the gentle whisper. And guidance is exactly what Elijah received after this. God said, go back the way you, you came. Go through the desert of Damascus. You're going to appoint a couple people to lead over this region and you're also going to appoint help for you, your successor, a man named Elisha. And actually, I know it feels like everyone in this land has bowed to Baal, but there are 7,000 who have not. And we're going to rise them up. And this is God saying, I can still be trusted. You could trust me in that showdown against all the prophets of Baal, and you can trust me right now, even when life has been overwhelming you. So you know what the whole, whole story of Elijah seems to tell us this morning? Is that when you can get past the external shouts and the internal doubts, you clearly hear God's eternal whispers. And I think you know that. And I know I know that. But don't we need a reminder of that? That if I could just push back on the, the shouts, the, the external shouts and the internal doubts coming through the headphones, then I could clearly hear the eternal whispers of my heavenly father and the message he has for me. Maybe the best picture of this I've seen, it happened a couple months ago. We took the high school group to Pagosa Springs and we were actually talking about this story. And I said to David Perez, he's our junior high director and one of our high school leaders. I said, okay, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go up to this room, okay, go hide. And we had these two $50 bills and I'd hidden them on the property that we were staying at. And I said, I want you to go up to that room and just in your lowest possible whisper, just start whispering the location of these $50 bills. And in the meantime, we turned on in this room all this music and we turned on the TV and we turned on the fan 
And downstairs, we were talking about this story and I told the youth, okay, there are two $50 bills somewhere here on this property, but in order to find it, you're gonna have to find David Perez and he will tell you the location. So I said, go, and what do you think happened? Just pandemonium, okay? And they're running all over the house and a bunch of them get to this room that, that David is in all at once. And you can imagine what they were doing. David, just shout louder. Come on, tell us. There's too much noise, shout louder. I mean, isn't that what we do? God, just shout louder. And then finally, somebody said, whoa, whoa, hang on. Just everybody be quiet. So everybody got quiet and they turned down the music and they turned off the TV and they turned off the fan. And there was just David in the corner whispering, but that wasn't enough. Finally, somebody got close enough to David to hear the whisper. And suddenly they got up and they ran out of the room. And then I saw four kids run after that person out of the room. And I thought, oh no, they're gonna, they're gonna jump them and they're gonna split the money. That's what's gonna happen. <laughs> but you know what? Somebody else saw what the first person did and guess what they did? I'm gonna do that too. I'm gonna get close, close enough to hear the whisper. I'm here to tell you this morning that you have a heavenly father who he has something he wants to tell you. And it's so much greater than it's time for dinner. And it's so much greater than the location of a $50 bill. He has something to say about that decision that you're in the middle of making. He has something to say about that direction that you're headed. And he's got something to say about you. You just got to hear him. And here's the cool part. He doesn't just want to say it for your sake. He wants to use you the exact same way he used the prophets to shape the people around you. And in order to do that, you've got to be able to hear his whisper through the noise coming through the headphones. I mean, isn't that really what Jesus did? When we talk about living like Jesus, well, you know what you see Jesus doing? He's unaffected by the external shouts of his day. You know why? Because you constantly see him getting away for some quiet, to push out the shouts and all the stuff yelling at him and to hear the eternal whisper of his heavenly father. Isn't that what we want? Of course it is. Now, how do you tune into that whisper? Three quick things and then we'll get out of here, okay? First, remember. Remember what your heavenly father has done for you. As I read this story of Elijah, I now look at it and I go, man, the first mistake he made and the first mistake I make is when all the shouts and all the doubts come up, I forget what he's done in my life for me. And I've noticed that when I remember what he's done, that stabilizes me and I can sit and I can be still in the moment. So remember, second, rest. How much rest are we really getting? I mean, I know we do all kinds of things in the name of being more efficient, but are we that much more efficient? This week I read, uh, a guy was talking about the idea his family's practicing a digital sunset. It means when the sun goes down, all the devices get put down. I thought, wow, that's powerful. That was really convicting for me. So are we resting? And is it quality rest? And are we eating what we should be eating and taking care of ourselves? Because that will set the stage for you to have the energy to do what God is whispering to you. And then third, reconsider. Reconsider what is driving your current choices. See, I have a feeling that throughout this room, there are a number of people that are on the verge of making a decision that whether you see it or not, it could lead to one of your greatest regrets. 
if you're doing it because something is shouting at you from the outside or some doubt that's in you on the inside. And reconsidering, you know, you know why that's hard? Because it might mean waiting. It might mean waiting for that eternal whisper to show up. But if you wait, do you know what you'll discover as we've talked about all through the story? Is that your heavenly father, who has been trustworthy all along, he's trustworthy right now, even in these moments of life as well. So push out the shouts and the doubts and listen for the whisper. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I feel like every time I come to you, I'm saying thank you. <laughs> thank you for your mercy and as Thomas said last week, your kindness. Because as you watch us chase all the messages coming through the headphones, you continue to whisper to us. And you don't raise your voice and yell at us, you just wait. And so Heavenly Father, tune our ears not to the external shouts or the internal doubts, but to the message you have for us, your eternal whispers. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.